Welcome to the Title Run Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, joined by two of my main men, Scott the Stat Assassin. Scott, tell the people what's up. Hello, hello. And Dr. J, join us from Tennessee. Tell the people what's up. It's time. Happy football, everybody. So I think you said it best earlier today, Jonathan. We truly are a dog nation. I'm here in Athens, Georgia. You're in Tennessee and Scott's in Cali. So we're working really hard to coordinate this across three different time zones and from coast to coast. And we're excited about doing this, man. It's football time. Uh, you sent me a text message two weeks ago and you said, hey, Sigma the Stat Assassin, it's time. So uh, we're getting together, putting our brains together to come up with the one and only Georgia football preview that you need as a Georgia fan. So if you're new to the show, please follow us on social media, Facebook and Twitter. You can email us, titlerunsports at gmail.com. And as always, please subscribe and share on your favorite podcasting platforms. We need to get listeners, folks. All right, so let's jump right into this. 2020, weird year for the dogs. If you haven't heard our breakdown of the 2020 season, go listen to it. It's podcasting gold. We're giving you stuff that you won't get anywhere else, including one of the best quotes you've ever heard from Nick Saban that I'm not going to repeat. You got to go back and listen to it. But that quote really set the set the uh, table for the rest of what we discussed in that podcast we did back in January when we wrapped up the Bulldog season, Jonathan. So a couple quick notes we want to hit on as we recap. Uh, looking at Georgia's ranks in offense last year, they were 41st in total offense at 424 yards a game. 38th in scoring offense at 32 points a game and an offensive SP plus 21, 21st. And one of the things that we really discussed in that January podcast was how we're in an offensive era in college football. And if you do not average 40 points a game, you probably are not a true national title contender. And so it's worth noting that the SP plus metric, which we talked about at nauseum on this show, we're not going to break it down again, but it's a really good indicator of predictive success for teams. And Alabama, Clemson, and OSU last year finished first, second, and fifth in offensive SP+. In 2019, the four playoff teams, LSU, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State, they finished first, fifth, third, and fourth, respectively, in SP+. So generally, the trend has been top five offense, good chance you're making the playoff. So, question is, can Georgia have a top five offense this year? Short answer, yes. Long answer depends on if there's any wide receivers on the team or not. Which is something we're going to get to in a few (laughs) seconds because when you guys were telling me the updates on everything that's going on in camp, it was alarming, to say the least. Um, And I think a lot of people already know about the the major injury to George Pickens and hope that he'll be back this season – he wants to come back this season. I can understand why he wants to be he's healthy, make sure he gets that draft stock high. Um, he is probably pretty easily a first-round draft pick if he's healthy. And we lost him along with Trey Hill on the offensive side of the ball and Trey McKitty, which I don't know if you call those major departures, but they are departures. And, you know, other than that, you're pretty much turning everything. Um, on the flip side of the ball, we're going to come back to the offense in just a second. Looking at Georgia's 2020 defensive ranks, 12th in total defense, which really is not an important stat because it's really about, like, points allowed. But 12th in total defense, uh, first in college football and run defense at 72 yards per game, which is absolutely absurd. 
first in yards per rush at 2.39. And Georgia had the number one rush defense in the country by 20 yards. Number two was Texas A&M, and they added 92 yards a game they gave up. So uh, scoring defense, they were tw- they were 16th at 20 points per game, but they also played the number one and number three offenses last year in Florida and in Alabama and Florida. And in defensive SP plus, which is the stat, they were number one. So back-to-back years, Georgia's had the best defense in the country, and they have a great chance of having a good defense again if the back end can just be passable because the front seven is going to be stacked. So that's kind of a little overview of where Georgia was last year. Going back to the offense, guys, what are we going to do at receiver? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the question. Um, as you're saying, David, to put a bow on you know, last year's season, really everything was about the passing game when we didn't have it when we thought we might have had it towards the end of the season and how that changed things and how despite the elite level of our defense, we couldn't seem to do anything with the passing offense of other teams. It, it was it was all about who could throw the ball and who couldn't. Um, even what you were saying about our like truly unbelievable rush defense, you could even make the argument that um, we defended against the run too well <laughs> we defended <laughs> against the run so well that it just made people throw that much more um, and ended up putting our defense in situations that even as good as it was, um, you know, ultimately our offense couldn't keep up with. So this year uh, to move into your question about receivers, the thing that we're hoping is that our defense will be at or around a similar level as to what it was last year. Um, again, hopefully if the secondary holds up, but that hopefully this year, we have a quarterback and receivers uh, that can put together an offense that can keep up with those other elite teams. Um, but boy, how all is that going to come together between now and the Clemson game is definitely a question. Um, as I would rank our receiving core uh, right now at this moment, as we record this podcast, I think our probably top five receivers are all injured to some degree and not practicing. Mm-hmm. I would say those are, George Pickens, Jermaine Burton, mm-hmm. Dominic Blaylock, Kiaris Jackson, and Avery Gilbert. Um, news today that Avery Gilbert is out dealing with personal issues. Sounds like it could be some sort of mental health or even substance use issue. That's speculation at this point, um, but that seems to be the thing that's out there. We know about George Pickens. Blaylock is coming back from a very serious injury um, last year that uh, – Will he be ready early in the season? Maybe, maybe not. It sounds like the injuries to Burton and Jackson are not serious, and they could be back mm-hmm. on the practice field yeah. as early as maybe this week sometime, but they didn't participate in the scrimmage today. So at this moment right now, the receiving core is um, hurting, to say the least. And it sounds like, right, if you had to guess, if you had to bet or put money on something, it sounds like you will not have Gilbert to start mm-hmm. the season. Mm-hmm. And we know that you won't have Pickens to start the season. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you would probably have everybody else to start the season. That's kind of looks like the most likely outcome, right? If yeah. you get fortunate yeah. and you have Gilbert back, that's a big plus. If you are unfortunate and, you know, Blaylock's not really all the way ready to go or, and somebody else has an injury or something, or not very far away from, being without four of our top seven receivers, including our, including our clear number one, right? Yeah, this isn't yeah. like a 
oh, we have three first round picks and then the next four guys are injured. It's you're missing your real top, top guy already. So it it could. Yeah, it could be a serious problem for the Clemson game, at least. And Eric Gilbert, which we're trying our best to say his name correctly. Uh, he is one that you essentially got to replace George Pickens as your guy that can be your big bodied outside receiver that can make contested catches. Kind of like what, what Cager was a few years ago. You, you're trying to get the guy that can do that. We've already talked about how Eric Gilbert has slimmed down because he wants to be a wide receiver, which personally I think is a terrible career move because we've seen what guys like that turn into in the NFL. I mean, yeah, you can be Devin Funches, who's an average NFL receiver, or you could be, I won't say Kyle Pitts, but, <laughs> you know, Mercedes Lewis or some other really good pass catching tight end and be Dar- elite. Darren Waller. Darren Waller, that's a great, that's a great comp there, Scott. Like, who is going to be a really good plus receiving tight end for many, many years, or you can be an average receiver that bounces around the league. And I just think he's making the wrong choice there because unless he's got four three speed, which I don't think he does, or elite ability to separate, I just think, okay, you want to do that, but okay, I just don't know that it's gonna be the best decision for his career. He might have elite ability to separate just as far as route running kind of stuff goes. Um, certainly the speed for the wide receiver position, especially talking about like first round pick NFL futures, that level of speed, not really there for the wide receiver. Is it enough speed for the college game? Yeah, yeah, probably. Pickens isn't exactly a track star either. No, he's not. Um, but you know, I think Gilbert probably does as far as, uh, some quickness and route running, he should still be able to separate, you know, he was able to get pretty open pretty consistently as a freshman at LSU so yeah and what it always comes down to is if you in the NFL either you win by separating or you win by making contested catches and the guys that win by making contested catches have big strong bodies which Gilbert has you know it's your guys like your Gronks your Travis Kelsey's they win by making contested catches now Kelsey's also a great athlete uh Kyle Pitts wins by running past you (laughs) and making contested catches which is why he's gonna be really really good but for Gilbert, I think that he's going to be one of those guys that will need to win through contested catches. And I think he's going to be able to do that. And college, I think, he'll be able to separate from people. I just wonder if on the outside against NFL corners, if he'll be able to do that. We don't know the answer to that because he's only a sophomore. And he's got a lot of time to refine those skills. Having said that, the stuff about him having personal issues sounds a lot like the language Kirby used with D'Angelo Gibbs a few years back when he withdrew from school. And the rumors were that he, was, he had a uh, drug addiction issue. And so when you hear Kirby said he hopes he gets the issues resolved, he references a specific doctor, you put two and two together, it sounds a lot like Eric Gilbert could potentially be in rehab. And we can say that speculating here because we're not a major media outlet. So that's what it sounds like. That's what it smells like. And you just hope and pray that's not it. And if it is, that he can get help. Scott, you had mentioned there was rumblings of that happening at LSU also. Yeah, there were rumors of some substance abuse issues being part of, you know, why he was leaving LSU. Part of why he was coming back to Georgia, you know, but he's also one of those guys. There's been so many rumors around him that, you know, you don't really know what rumors hold much substance. Now, in this case, because now he's not with the team. And like you mm-hmm. said, the language that Kirby is using sounded like something similar to that. Right. It sounded pretty similar to uh, yeah. uh, the coach that just left the program probably yes. to go do some rehab type stuff. And it sounded similar to D'Angelo yeah. Gibbs situation. So that, you know, then you go, Oh, maybe that rumor had something to it. It's still a maybe. Cause like you said, we don't know. 
All we know yeah. is not with the team. And if I'm betting on it, it's probably not going to be with the team to start the season. But that is, you know, fan speculation, right? So our favorite guy, Adani Mitchell, is he your starting X if things don't change? I mean, is he taking that spot as the outside receiver, making those contested catches, running those takeoff routes and slants? Like, he looked pretty good doing it in the spring game. We were all blown away. Yeah, he might have to be. I mean, there's not a whole lot of other big bodies in the receiver room. I mean, you lost Demetrius Robinson, which isn't much of a loss. You lost Matt Landers, who was a big body that couldn't catch. But he could run really fast in a straight line. And the thing is, I think we've all said this. On paper, this was going to be one of the deepest receiving rooms in the country. On paper. It's a lot of unproven, but like, and I hate to make this reference, but this could be like, this could have been like a 2017 Alabama receiving room. We're like, there's a whole bunch of guys in there that could end up being NFL receivers. I don't know that we have three future first round picks, three or four future first round picks, but you're like, you might have five or six NFL receivers sitting in that room right now. And probably the fastest guy in college football and Arian Smith in that room as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely the fastest guy in college football. I think you ran a 10-1 on track this past year. So... When you've got that kind of – when you got that kind of talent in that room, I mean, the sky's the limit. And that's what's so frustrating is, like, Georgia, who has been really mediocre at receiver for by Georgia standards the last few years due to transfers and injuries and whatnot, you finally have the talent in the room. And it's like – then you didn't have the quarterback last year. And then this year you got the quarterback and the talent. And it's like we just – it's like we can't get right. It's like we're just snake-bitten. And who knows? If Jermaine Burton's healthy, Dominic Waylock's healthy, and A.D. Mitchell can play, and uh, Rosemary Jack Saint, who's returning from injury also, if those guys all go, I'm okay with that. Like, ah, that's enough. Because truthfully, we, we haven't mentioned is that we also have two NFL running backs. Actually, we probably have four NFL running backs um, who will be getting totes this year. And I'm not even sure which one I think is the best right now. Yeah, I see three pretty solid, for sure, NFL guys there at the running back spot. So, I mean – with you know, with White and and Cook as your co-starters, and I think Kendall Milton is the third guy. But that's not to say that McIntosh yeah. couldn't possibly be an NFL guy. I just don't think he's a a surefire guy on the levels as other guys. He's still a good college player. Who are you giving the majority of the carries to? And this is an interesting question because Zamir White, from what I saw in high school, is one of the best running back prospects I've seen in years coming out of high school. Torres ACL has never regained what he had in high school. That's similar to what happened to Sonny Michelle, who never regained his top end speed from what we were told he was in high school. And the first little glimmer of hope I got about Zamir White returning to form was in the Cincinnati game. And y'all know the play I'm talking about. He makes a jump cut, runs through a tackle line of scrimmage, and bursts on the sideline. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. that's it. That, that, that's, that's what I saw him do in high school. I have not seen that since he got to Georgia. I've seen the power. I've seen decent straight line speed, but the wiggle and the burst of the hole, I haven't seen it. And I'm just hoping that was a sign that he's got it back. And it was similar to Nick Chubb. We talked about this. Nick Chubb didn't regain his full top end speed for a good two years because Scott, you and I talked about out of high school, this kid looks like a four, four guy and looking at his track times, whatnot. He ran a four five at the combine. We're kind of like, I think he's faster than that. And then, yeah, he, he had, lo- he had low four, four laser times in high school, in high yeah. school too. And so. so he gets the combine runs of four, five, five, four, five, six was the same as Sonny Michelle. And it's like, uh, uh-uh, nah, nah, he's faster than that. And then he goes to the NFL and 
every year he's got one of the fastest on field speeds of anybody according to the next gen stats, which tells you that, yeah, he can go. Yep. And Zamir white had that kind of speed coming out of high school. So if he gets it back guys, I mean, geez. <laughs> and if he doesn't, hello, Kendall Milton. And that's, and that's the opportunity he has. I mean, I, I would be shocked. I think is, is probably the right word. If Zamir White is not the starting running back mm. against Clemson, I might even say I'd be shocked if he's not the starting running back for most of the games early in the season. Basically, I'm saying Zamir White is the starter and it is his job to lose. That being said, it's not impossible that he could Mm-mm. lose it. If, like you're saying, David, if he gets back to what we saw in high school, if he is high school Zeus, then like he could have a true breakout year and really, you know, be a true sort of bell cow running back. Um, if he's not that, um, if he's, you know, something of what we've seen the last two seasons, maybe only a little bit better than that, but not, you know, truly returned to sort of unbelievable form that we saw when he was younger, then the door is definitely open for Cook and for Milton. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, already definitely some fall camp buzz for Kendall Milton and people saying that he really looks ready to ascend. Um, I mean, he already did yeah. last year, just yeah. sort of, you know, limited, limited opportunity. And then James Cook, a lot of people saying James Cook looks a little bit bigger. James Cook's gotten a little bit swole and still has just the same, you know, sort of speed and wiggle that he's always had. Um, you know, you, you would love to see James Cook, um, you know, meet the potential that we've always thought he's, he's had. Um, and I might've even seen something about him sort of getting maybe more reps than usual with the ones uh, you know, here lately. So, um, look, both of those guys, Cook and Milton, are, I mean, they're, they're ready to get there if Zamir White is, is not absolutely at the very top of his game. So this brings up to an interesting point. Like, I think we all agree that getting rid of James Coley was the best of coaching decision Kirby has made to this point of his career at Georgia. And what we got out of the offense with our new offensive coordinator last year, Todd Munkin, was spectacular. We've said this several times in the podcast, but he drew up about 49 points worth of plays against Florida, but because we had quarterbacks go 9 to 29 and overthrow receivers by combined about 400 yards, we couldn't score. And once we inserted JT Daniels, we talked about the offensive impact. If you extrapolate his numbers over a 13-game season, 4,000 yards, 33 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, and 10 yards per attempt. And we averaged 39 points a game with him, as you put together, Scott. Now – we all know this. We just said this. You need to be a 40-point-per-game offense to be a national title contender. We have the personnel at the skill positions if we're healthy. What do we have come back on the offensive line? So y'all go through this protected starters for me, guys. Help me out with this. Who's going to be on the offensive line this season? Uh, right now, nobody really knows exactly. Yeah. You have a handful of guys that you know are going to start almost certainly which is Sawyer, who's mm-hmm. back. Uh, McClendon, who was the starting right tackle last year, starting right tackle again. And then Justin Schaefer, yeah. who was nominally the starter at right. guard last year when some other guys were injured. After that, it gets a little dicey, right? Erickson was penciled in for the starter at right. center. But that was sort of a – he started the last two games last year after Trey Hill was mm-hmm. out for – uh, like surgery on an injury. So was he really, is he, you know, Erickson really going to win the job? I don't know. He's one or one a and Van Pran is 
you know, one B or two, but they're just starting fall camp. So they have three scrimmages, right? There's, you don't know who's going to win it. Erickson also right now is battling a, a yeah, he's, injury. Beat, he's banged up, but he's supposed to be back, you know, within the only miss a couple weeks. I think it's a hand thing with a cast. He's going to still be able to, you know, keep getting reps at guard, you know, keep running and, you know, doing some lifts and stuff like that. So it's not like he's stuck in bed for two weeks or something like that and missing everything. Right guard will be interesting because a lot of people think that Ratledge is going to be winning the right guard. And he surprises with the way he played in the spring, the number of reps he got in the G-Day game. He he got almost all of the Mm -hmm. reps in the G-Day game. And and I really think with Ratledge, to me, sort of despite what maybe coaches have said, to me, I I think they really kind of had their five. um, And and it's the five that Scott just said. Sawyer and McClendon at tackle, Schaefer and Ratledge at guard, and Erickson at center. That that to me seemed to be a, a fairly solid five um, that really had had jobs that you know were, were all theirs to lose. Um, probably the ones there that you know might have been had a door cracked a little bit for some behind them might have been Ratledge, mostly just because he's so young. But I think he has performed. Um, at least as well in fall camp as he did in the spring so far. Um, and really there was not a lot of sign. I didn't think that anybody else was trying to move into that top group until Erickson got hurt. And even today, you know, uh, Kirby is already talking about Erickson being back next week, albeit with a cast, maybe playing guard instead of center, maybe snapping with his other hand. Oh gosh. <laughs> um, and so, it, yeah. And so it sounds to me like, you know, they're, they're ready to get him back in as soon as possible. I mean, the other guys behind them, Van Pran at center, uh, Xavier Truss at tackle, um, Broderick Jones and Amarius Mims. Um, maybe the one sort of surprise name that not everybody knows is a guy named Devin Willock, um, who probably would be a guard and is an absolutely mammoth human being. And if you've ever heard former Georgia coach Jim Donnan talk on UGA Sports podcast, he's been talking about Devin Willock for two years mm-hmm. and and look out for him. Anyway, purely I think he's, he's depth. But um, – uh, to me, those those five that Scott mentioned, I I think those are the five that that they want, and probably is the best combination at this point of talent and experience. And I can I, I'll say that that's probably the best five right now. I yeah. don't know if that's really necessarily the five that they want because I think what they would really want is for somebody else to really step up at mm-hmm. tackle and yeah, let yeah. you move Sawyer back to one of the guard mm-hmm. spots. But I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, Broderick Jones and Amarius Mims. Yeah, it's two big recruits. Two are just two guys that just uh, talent-wise uh, you just don't find very often. And they would love for one or both of them to get comfortable enough where they could put them at left or right tackle um, and then maybe move around Sawyer. I agree. They would love for those yeah. guys to oh, be ready. Or even Truss. Uh, I don't think Truss looked so hot against uh-huh. Cincinnati. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. he was – a red shirt freshman starting when he probably wasn't really supposed to be. He's not the same level of uh, recruit as Mims or Jones, but he is still a really big talented guy who was a little bit more of a developmental type prospect. Not to say he wasn't a good prospect, but he was a guy that was really raw, needed some work Uh, similar to Willick where it's like, Hey, there's this really massively huge dude that actually moves pretty well for his size. Let's see if we can teach him to be an offensive lineman basically. So you know, sometimes those guys never 
and never clicks and they're just backups. And then sometimes mm -hmm. a light bulb goes on and, and they take mm -hmm. off, right? So yeah, if, if him or Mims or Jones or any of those guys really step up at tackle, it's offensive line. You get like the domino effect, right? Where you switch one guy out and then you move this the that guy to another position and it moves another guy to yeah, another position. That's how it is. It's like mm -hmm. the, yeah, you got four changes and then eventually somebody gets bumped. But starting I don't expect that to really start the season, especially starting against Clemson. Right. Probably against Clemson, you're gonna say, Hey, let's start with five offensive linemen that we know can play that we know won't make a mistake that we know won't miss this block and get our quarterback killed. And you're going to be playing a Clemson defense in that first game. That is woo, <laughs> really good. Um, even with the departure of Darren Kendrick to UGA, he wasn't going to be their CB one anyway, uh, despite what people think. And that front four is maybe the best in college football. Probably has four. Right, maybe the only defensive line that's better than the one they see in practice yeah, every day. I mean, <laughs> and having said that, we just talked about this. This offense has got to score 40 points a game. What do you think the ceiling is for this offense, very briefly? If healthy, assuming we get the guys back that we expect to have back, you know, not, not, not George Pickens, but the other ones, what's our ceiling on the offense? And assuming JT Daniels is healthy, what's our ceiling? I, I do think the ceiling is, is roughly – a 40 point offense. And I, I don't think it's being too uh, overly optimistic. Uh, basically the extrapolated numbers that you gave uh, at the beginning here, uh, what we saw at the end of last season with JT Daniels. Um, if he, if he has any receivers at all, <laughs> yeah. if the guys right now that we think are just minor injuries are in fact, minor injuries and they're back. Maybe even we get one or two that are actually out right now. Um, if he has, weapons to work with and and he should um i don't think it's unreasonable at all to expect that we can see at least what we saw from the offense at the end of last season maybe even with a little bit of improvement so i, I absolutely think the ceiling is yeah a, a 40 point offense i would say uh not as explosive as like the joe burrow uh jamar chase offense but um what's well, could it be Mac Jones, Devontae Smith offense? I think that's possible. I know. Those are I like two of the best offenses in the history of college football in back-to-back -back years. By, the, by <laughs> the numbers, by the numbers, the Alabama offense was the best in the history yeah. of football and the LSU second was best. Second yeah. best. Yeah. But you know, that is kind of the ceiling when you consider that every year seems to have the new best offense exactly. in the history of the sport. And you know, 40 points, 40 is a nice round number, but there was what seven or eight. Power five teams yeah. that averaged 40 points yeah. last year. So that's the ceiling isn't 40. The ceiling is 45. Or oh, 50. yeah. That's the floor. Now, 40 is the floor to be in a college football playoff yeah. team to me. That's the floor. Yeah. And, you know, the question for Georgia is it, you know, you expect the offense will take a step forward with a presumably healthy quarterback for a whole year, a second year coordinator, a quarterback, second year in the system, everybody second year in the system, things jump forward you kind of expect that you'll be in the high thirties or low forties. The question is, can you get to 45? Can you, you know, can you go from the, the 10th best offense to the fifth best, or can you be the third best or the first yeah. best? It's, it's where in that good offense things fall. That's how it, you know, where and it look at our, Cause it's going to be a good productive. Look offense. at our schedule. Is there a single elite defense other than Clemson's that you see in our schedule? One that scares you. 
I, I don't know that Clemson's defense. And they may is not elite. even be. Clemson's Clemson's defensive line yeah. is absolutely elite. After that, uh the linebackers are or maybe you can really pick on some Clemson's of those. Clemson's never guys, great I think. at linebacker. They are great at corner and they are great up front. That's always where they have their talent. So re- reframe the question. Looking at that schedule, is there any team that you see Georgia not scoring at least 35 points on in that schedule? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it, Clemson and Florida are the only real possibility. Exactly. There. I mean, just look, and, and we'll get to the schedule later on, but this is an easy schedule. Like, Georgia has a very favorable schedule, which is going to also help with them being a really strong, productive offensive unit. And on the flip side of that, Clemson, Florida, give me another offense on that schedule that you see that you are really worried about. Right, exactly. No, you're right. The, the schedule plays in our favor. And I will also say, thinking about defenses, I don't see any defenses there that are as good as our defense was right. last year. And our defense, when it played Kyle Trask, when it played Mac Jones, uh, gave up the kind of points that we are hoping to score on others this year. Now, Clemson is the best defense on the schedule, and they may or may not be elite. The uh, the thing with the schedule, too, right, you look at it, uh, four teams with new coaches. If you, if you want to know what happened to a lot of the, the beef of the middle portion of the schedule, it has a lot to do with that. Mm. And, and a little bit to do with some, some second-year coaches where, eh, you know, maybe the team will be good, maybe the, their team won't be good, right? Like Missouri. I think Missouri will actually be a pretty good team. And I think, you know, yeah, I agree not with that. second year. Kentucky's not a second-year coach. I think they'll be a pretty good team. Mm-hmm. The schedule breaks out pretty nice because you catch both those teams at home, mm-hmm. right? So if Kentucky or Missouri are kind of borderline top 25 teams, you know, teams that, hey, if you have to go play at their place and you have an off day or you have, you're really banged up and they have a good day or it's a bad matchup, maybe they can give you some problems, right? But you catch both those teams at home. And you got – Vanderbilt, who you know, Vanderbilt, but yeah, new coach. <laughs> yep. South Carolina, new coach. Auburn, new coach. And then, what? Who else? You have one more new coach on the schedule. So Tennessee. It's yeah, Tennessee, new coach, right? And first year head coaches. There's just a lot of changes in the program. Those teams are going to probably have a little bit of down years. So you're kind of looking at it, and you have Clemson, and you have Florida, mm-hmm. and then. Kentucky and Missouri are pretty decent teams. Mm-hmm. And man, the rest of those games, I mean, it, if you look at it from some like the projected lines, you know, you slight underdog at Clemson, slight favorite at Florida. And man, all those other lines, you're not going to have any like single digit lines. lines. Yeah. Gonna, you'd be a two touchdown favorite or more in probably every other game. And just running through the schedule from top to bottom, Clemson, neutral side in Charlotte, UAB at home, South Carolina at home, at Vandy, Arkansas home. And we know Arkansas is a much improved program overall with what Coach Pittman did there last year. They got made chicken salad of chicken crap last year with Felipe Franks at quarterback, a bunch of transfers and young players. And they were surprisingly good. So I think they will be competitive, but that's still a game. When I say competitive, that's a game you should win 45 yeah, to 30 uh, to 28. Uh, I mean, another one at home, right? Yeah, if, it's at home. It might be the fifth best team you play yeah. at home. Auburn, who is such an unknown. Kentucky, who we know is going to be solid. They were really good on defense last year. Kentucky had, what, six draft picks last year? I mean, 
Yeah, they they lost a lot. They lost a lot on defense. That part they did. And Kentucky, we know, goes in about three year cycles. They have about every three years they get a really talented group. They compete and they lose that group and they're bad for two years. That's essentially what Kentucky does. Um, open date, then Florida, Missouri, Missouri at home, at Tennessee, which again, who knows what you can expect from Tennessee, and then Charleston Southern and at Georgia Tech, who again much improved. A lot of talent on Georgia Tech, but still a game you expect to win by three touchdowns. So that's a schedule. And right now there's a projected win total for UJ at 10 and a half, which I feel like has been our projected win total for like the last 10 years. <laughs> it's 10 and a half. I feel like it's always 10 and a half. And so we'll come back and talk about it at the end, whether or not we think we will hit that win total and or why. But I think as we've all said, a great, portion of that is going to depend on what happens with this offense. And we've already talked about how we think this is going to be a good offense. And I'll tell you that things that good offenses have in common, at least last few years, it's two things. Well, really three things. Good quarterback play, which leads to explosive passing plays and a good run game. I know that sounds like a super oversimplification, but you have to be able to score and you have to be able to score 70 yard touchdowns on people to be in elite offense. And you have to be able to run the ball when you need to. And all the teams that are really good, on offense, last few years have done that. Oklahoma, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, who are the best offenses of the last three or four years, all do that. And the year that LSU is lead on offense, they did that. Score fast and run the ball. Any do y'all have anything to add to that? Am I missing anything? I I would say the only thing that hasn't yet come up in our conversation about the offense is the tight ends, mm. which um is looking more and more important yeah. uh, the further into camp we go, um, especially as we're talking specifically about the loss, temporary or not, of Gilbert, um, you know, obviously hoping the best for him on and off the field. And, you know, if if he's back, that's good for a lot of reasons. But say that he's not, either early in the season or permanently, um, there is a way in which we might actually be uh, sort of strangely equipped to deal with that specific loss because of Darnell Washington, because of Brock Bowers. Oh yeah. Brock Bowers both, is a baller. Who both are able, <laughs> literally Brock Bowers is a true freshman, like just got on campus yeah. earlier this year. Todd Munkin in his like one press conference that he will do all year long which <laughs> earlier this week, when asked about a Gilbert and what he thought about him was praising Gilbert and basically said something like, He's sort of in that Brock Bowers mold. Oh, of did he really? Body who, who's very oh. versatile and can make plays for you in the middle of the field or whatever. Okay. Like already <laughs> talking about his true freshman being like, he reminds me a little bit of Brock Bowers. Wow. Um, okay. Uh, all that to say that Washington and Bowers are that similar kind of, you know, um, jumbo uh, pass route running. Yeah. Athlete. Yeah. So yeah. we, we have a, um, a very weird amount of depth <laughs> at a, at a position with a type of athlete that many people don't have any of. And so um, that's the other part of our offense that hopefully will be, uh, you know, very impactful this year. And maybe Munkin will finally be the coach that unlocks the tight end, which we have not thrown to basically in eight or nine years here. <laughs> Georgia feels like right. partially right. because as Scott and I've always said, we have five tight ends that run four nines and those guys aren't really receiving threats. Sorry, folks. Don't care what their star rating is. Um, moving along the, to the, the, def- the irony too, the irony of, uh, a white dude from California being the fastest tight end we've had since Ben Watson <laughs> is pretty funny. So moving along to the other side of the ball, 
as we've discussed offense at length, because truthfully, and, and I think part of the reason we do this is we know we're going to be good on defense. We don't know if we're going to be as good as we've been the last couple of years in defense, but the floor for Georgia is like really, really good defense. That's the floor. The ceiling is best defense in the country because that's what we've been the last two years. So defense, we've already gone through the stats. Number one in SP plus last two years, legitimately really, really good defense, not all time. Great defenses, which we were projected to be last year, but really good defenses. And I will go ahead and say what I've said before, because fans are stupid. Um, when you play an elite offense as a good defense, a really good offense is still going to score 35 to 40 points a game on you. A good defense holds an offense that averages 45 points a game to 38 points a game. They hold an offense that averages 49 points a game to 41 points a game, which is a full touchdown under your average. That's what Georgia did against Alabama last year. And it felt like a horrible defensive performance, but you held them below their season average. And that's what you are looking for. And then when you play bad offenses, you absolutely smother them and, and snuff them out. That's what good defense looks like in college football now. And so I'm telling you, Georgia fans, that you need to adjust your expectations. Yes, when we play Alabama in the SC championship game or whoever it is, they're going to score 35 or 40 points. That's going to happen. But they're not going to score 60. Like, that's what good defenses do. And I think sometimes where fans get skewed on this is Alabama averages 49 points a game, yeah. right? Or that's what they averaged last year, I think. They did that a lot of times in like three quarters. Of <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. Right? Yes. So if you want to talk about how your defense is stacking up to the elite level offenses, look at how many points you've given up after three quarters <laughs> and compare that to their points yeah. per game. Yeah. Because that's about where they are after three quarters, right? Yeah. And then Alabama's running out their backups, which, you know, for them are five-star kids too. And, you know, Mac Wilson's got 1,700 passing yards and backup duty before he starts a bowl game against Michigan. It's just that's much, that's how much he had in mop-up duty over the season. Uh, for Alabama that year, which is in, which is absurd. Uh, but looking at Georgia this year, it feels like Georgia has everything coming back in the front seven, but we really don't. So I was sitting there like, well, we got everybody back in the front seven. It's like, no, no, we don't. We lost Monty Rice, uh, NFL player, Aziz Ojolari, fantastic defensive end, Jermaine Johnson, transfer to Florida State. But with Georgia, because Kirby plays so many players in that front seven, l- the guys that aren't technically starters, like Adam Anderson isn't technically a starter, but he's one of the best pass rushers in college football. Uh, Nolan Smith, I guess, isn't technically a starter, but he's a five-star that's played a bunch of snaps over the last two years. So it's not like you're really losing starters in a sense because you have guys that have played probably 60% of your snaps or 40 to 60% of your snaps the last two years that you're plugging into those spots. And so – the biggest, biggest blow, and we all know this, and Jonathan has lost sleep over this, is in the secondary, where you lost your top four quarterbacks, five. Who am I forgetting? Let me see. We got Stevenson that transferred. Okay. So Stevenson, DJ Daniel, Mark Webb. Mark, Mark, oh, Mark Webb Stokes. was the one I forgot. In addition fun. to your two NFL corners who went in the first two rounds. And, and, not so much from contributions last year, but from an overall depth perspective, your sixth guy, Devon Wilson, yeah, transferred, transferred because he was the sixth guy. Now, he wanted to be a starter or whatever. He wanted yeah. to maybe be an outside cornerback. He wasn't going to be either of those things really at Georgia, but he would have been a depth piece this year. Yes, yes. One of the concerns right now in the secondary is depth. You brought oh, in boy. some guys. You brought in, you know, Kendrick to start on the outside, 
from Clemson. You brought in Tyke Smith to be your slot corner guy from West Virginia, right? You bring back Scene, who's a clear starter. Yeah. And you bring back Chris Smith, mm-hmm. who on paper, you never really would have thought he would be a guy that was no, Georgia. No, I did not. But not he, there. He filled in pretty well for LeCount last year, played, started for the last half of the season. Mm-hmm. Right. So you go, okay, well, of our basically five starting defensive back spots, four of them are filled by veterans that have played yeah. at a high level. Like most of them, three of those four at an all conference level. Right. Yeah. So starter wise, you're like, okay, we got to wrangle up one cornerback. You got enough guys in the roster that's mm-hmm. probably going to happen. Yeah. Problem is, uh, what about your, you know, fourth or fifth or sixth cornerback, right? If you have one injury, are you completely screwed? Yeah. Right? So, and of course, the, having somebody that's ready to go game one against Clemson at the other cornerback spot is not a given. And, and we discussed this. You don't have to have four studs in your second to win a national championship. Look at Clemson the last couple of years. We were there playing in there at safety. I mean, they had white guys at safety nobody had ever heard of, and they're back at the end of their secondary. They were good players because it fit their system. Georgia back in our national championship runner-up season, we had a NFL corner on one side, and we were playing Tyreek McGee on the other side. You know, I mean, like, it, it just, you don't have to be great at every spot in the secondary, but you do have to have a clear CB1. And for us, it's going to be Darian Kendrick, who you and I discussed this guy and uh, Jonathan earlier that, like, Georgia fans, this guy isn't a lockdown CB1. This is not Derek Stingley. This is not Drew Booth at Clemson. This is not uh, Kyer Elam at Florida. This is not who he – this guy is a solid power five starter. That's what he is. Now, Lewis Seen is an NFL safety. He will be like a top four-round draft pick at safety this year, assuming he tests well. well. And Kendrick is an NFL guy. Too. Yes, I'm sorry. He's, he's an NFL be, corner. Yes. He's going to be a top four-round kind yes, of guy. Yes, he too, is. Right? But yeah. he's not – he's not Eric Stokes, I don't think. He's not Eric Stokes. I'm not sure he's even Tyson Campbell. And who, who is that in our corner group right now is Keely Ringo, right. who should be sort of a sort of a situation similar to what we were talking about the offensive line earlier, where we've got five guys that probably they're going to be out there for Clemson, but they may or may not be the most talented guys on the roster. That's sort of the situation with Ringo. Now he, in terms of his, his talent, his measurables, he, he is absolutely, you know, just top of the chart elite. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he's a redshirt freshman. He did not play last year. Mm-mm. He hasn't played any tackle football for a minute now, uh, but because of some injuries he's had. So he's the guy who they would love for him to be ready and to be that lockdown corner and that, you know, elite person on the edge. Um, but is he, is he going to be ready? We'll see. Um, Kirby talked about him some today after the scrimmage and seemed to say that um, he really likes what he's seen from him um, thus far. But uh, but he's a guy that's that's got to get ready fast. I I think as we sit here today, I think Kendrick and Amir Speed are are yeah. the starting corners. I was about to bring up Speed. He's been there forever. We talked about him. He's six foot three, elite measurables, athleticism, and speed. He just hasn't played. He hasn't yeah. played, and he'll probably get the first crack at it. And you hope he can hold it down as you bring along Keely Ringo. We didn't even mention Jalen Kimber. <laughs> you know, another five star kid who's. He's itty bitty, but man, he's athletic and he's he's twitchy and also currently dealing with a shoulder injury. Uh, Jalen Kimber. He's hurt too. Um, Golly, he, he, he has some sort of shoulder injury. Also, doesn't sound like it's serious, but but he he was mentioned today for that reason. Um, 
And as long as we're talking about corners, um, Kirby mentioned Kamari Lassiter by name, true okay. freshman, mm-hmm. as like a like a real sort of highlight of camp. Um, again, uh, true freshman. Uh, we we're hoping that Kamari Lassiter is like our fifth or sixth corner. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So not not looking for him to vault to the starting lineup necessarily. That's probably not a good sign if he does. But um, listen, good to hear Kirby Smart, who has very high standards uh, for yes. defensive secondary yes. players to be impressed with anybody. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, and Scott agrees with this. There's no such thing as a lockdown corner as a true freshman unless your name is Derek Stingley Jr. <laughs> even guys yeah, like there's... even guys like Patrick Sertan get cooked when they play good receivers. I mean, <laughs> what CeeDee Lamb did to him in the uh, national champ in the college football playoff a couple years ago when he was a freshman was child abuse. So that just that just doesn't happen. And so you're praying that you're not playing any true freshman back there in that in that back end, especially at corner where they get left on an island and there's just not a lot you can do to help them. I I continue to be concerned about the secondary. Had it not been for the transfer portal, yeah. I would be catatonic about the <laughs> secondary. Um, but, I mean, we did bring in Kendrick and Tyke Smith, thank yeah. goodness, um, because we're we're going to be counting on them all season. I, I think we've got – I think we've got – four corners that we probably feel okay putting out there and and if the young guys develop maybe we get to five or six by the end of the season and i've got about the same list for safeties i I think it's i think it's three or four and if a young guy really comes on maybe we get to five or six but and see where i think the biggest drop off is is that star because looking at tyke smith he played a lot in the slot at West Virginia. He was really more of a slot safety. He's a nickel is what he is. Let's just call it that he's a nickel. And he's very, very good at it. Good tackler, good in coverage, good ball skills. The drop-off between him and Latavius Brinney. Latavius Brinney. Woo! E, did you see – do you all remember the Cincinnati game? Yikes. Uh-huh. Yeah. D- depending on what you're trying to get out of your nickel guy, I think speed actually fits pretty well at the nickel spot. You can tackle, yeah he's a bigger physical mm-hmm. guy. He's not, you know, he's a bigger physical guy. He's not really like a quick change of direction mm-hmm. kind of defensive back. That's not his strength. So, you know, if you're trying to get a guy there to really cover a quick slot guy, speed, it may not really be yeah. your, your guy. Right. Yeah. But if you're trying to get a, a guy out there who can uh, hold up. Okay. And against the run, you know, cause I built more like Mark Webb. Yeah. Right. That more of that style then I think he fits pretty well. And I mention that because I really don't think he's long for that starting position. I think he's sort of listed as the nominal starter mm-hmm. because he's a fifth year player. It's by default. And all the, yeah, you know, it's early in fall camp, fourth and fifth year players kind of get the default starting spot until the younger guys can beat him out. But with Ringo and with Kimber, and then, you know, ultimately with Lassiter and even Green. I don't really see speed starting a lot of games. And if we're setting up our secondary and we're setting up our starting lineup on defense, let's go through the whole thing. We both agree your safeties are Smith and Scene. Corners, you said, we'll say, we'll pencil in speed on paper. I'm doing air quotes here. Kendrick for sure at the other spot. You're mm-hmm. starting outside linebackers. Adam Anderson. Oh, at- Tyke Smith at the nickel. Sorry, Tyke Smith at the nickel because yeah. we do play a four-two-five. Sorry, um, you're starting outside. Well, say you're starting outside linebackers. That's hard. It's really you're two starting inside backers yeah. and your edges. So you basically, yeah, you basically have twelve starters on. Defense, yeah, that's what. Yeah, right? it's that's true. part of the problem. So your inside backers are Nicobe Dean and 
Quay Walker. Quay Walker would be the other inside backer, yeah. Your edges are going to be Nolan Smith. And Adam Anderson. And Adam Anderson. Mm-hmm. And then you're at defensive tackle. It's some mixture of Jalen Carter, Devontae Wyatt, and who am I forgetting? Jordan and Davis. Jordan Trayvon Davis. Um, how, how do I forget Jordan Davis? And, and, and Trayvon Walker. Walker. Yeah, and those really are all four starters. So Yeah. And interestingly, talking about uh, Trayvon Walker in particular – um, maybe just sort of reading in between the lines of things some coaches are saying uh, thus far in camp. I'm not so sure that they don't want Walker to really sort of half replace Ojolari, hmm. even though even though he's a different position yeah. in terms of like where where are we going to get that other you know really really disruptive you know rush? Um, counting on that from Adam Anderson certainly, yes, you know, yes. especially on passing downs. And I mean, you you want Nolan Smith getting back there too, and he will, but that's probably not really his his forte. Um, I'm not so sure that they don't you know really sort of look at scheme wise, um, hoping that Walker and probably also Jalen Carter um, can sort of give us some of what we lost uh, with with Ojolari leaving. And what was so crazy is you know we didn't always let Aziz rush the passer because he actually was a complete football player. I'll never forget watching a film breakdown of us versus Alabama and watching Alabama have a pulling guard on power. Ojolari wrong arms the kid, knocks him into C-gap, and then uh, N'Kobe Dean comes over and makes a tackle. And I'm like, Ojolari's 250 pounds knocking guards sideways. Alabama guards. I don't hey, know if we got real, one of those this year. <laughs> the, well, the real beautiful part of it was they would turn around and run that to the other side, and Nolan Smith did the same thing. No, and that, that's who Nolan Smith is. And I, I think people are going to continue to look at him and want him to get more sack numbers. Yeah. And I'm sure he would love to get more sacks. Well, he's fast. Often, he's got, that is just, that's yeah. not Nolan Smith's assignment. That's just usually yeah. not what he's asked yeah. to do. Um, and, and part of that, I think, will change now that he is an upperclassman. Yeah, I and think he is he might. starting, right? Because before you just said, okay, Ojolari is playing every down. And then Nolan Smith play rundowns, Anderson play pass downs, right? Mm-hmm. right? He wasn't in there for a lot of, you know, pass rush opportunities. because and He got on the field early because he was so good at playing the run, so good at doing his job, so good at, like, attacking half of a pulling guard, right, and maintaining his, you know, integrity and all that. So he'll have a lot more chance to do it this year. And it's also we'll see how much he has, like, skill-wise pass rushing yeah. we don't know we haven't seen it the measurables like you mentioned the speed is gets there. there and it's also clear by the way they lined up where did aziz line up anytime it was a pass rush down he's on the left side on the right side of the offensive line against their worst tackle bringing gas that's where he would line up think about the cincinnati game we need a sack put aziz on the edge cut him loose and he, he ended the game for georgia and so i think that it's funny because Georgia, it seems like, had a lot more sacks than they did. I think they were, like, somewhere in the top 20 in the country, but they weren't really high in the sack numbers. But I put that one of the strengths of Georgia last year was situational pass rushing. When we needed pressure, we got it. And yeah. that, along with being stellar against the run and having a really high-level cornerback play were the hallmarks of this defense last two years. And I don't know if we're going to get the high-level cornerback play this year, but I think the situational pass rushing and the run defense are not going to drop off at all which is why we could take a slight step back, meaning we're the sixth best defense instead of the best defense. But if you have an offense that's the kind of offense we think and hope to have, it's going to be enough to be, to be, well, to be there at the end. We have a, 
we have a sneaky depth problem at outside backer. Very aware of the depth problems in the secondary. Yeah. Maybe not thinking of that in the linebacking core as much, but feel great about Nolan Smith and Adam Anderson. Once either one of those deal with an injury, yeah. Um, who's next? I mean, you're looking at Robert <laughs> no, Beal, I mean, who is a senior yeah. but has yeah. never played. You're hoping for a really outstanding, like sophomore breakout kind of season from MJ Sherman, who almost didn't play at all. After that, we have two very outstanding freshmen, but they're true freshmen. Um, I'm talking about Sori and Munden. Um, so behind Nolan Smith and Adam Anderson, uh, the depth at that position is we can call it murky basically to say hard to know what we would get from Robert Beal or from MJ Sherman. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Scott. I I would say I kind of disagree with that because I don't think it's murky. I think it's just not proven a ton. Just unknown. Um, Well, and, and maybe not even totally that the last time Beal was on the field much, it was a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. He was actually pretty good. He was actually pretty good. Now it turns out though, Jalari got a lot better. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, if the that was Jermaine standard, Johnson, yeah, Jermaine Johnson transferred because mm-hmm. he wasn't playing enough, right? Yep, right, <laughs> yeah. So, there's not a lot of snaps to go around, right? I don't think Beal's going to be some uh, amazing outside linebacker, right? If you miss mm-hmm. one of your outside guys for the season, Beal's not coming in and getting 10 sacks, <laughs> yeah, right? But, but I don't think he's a scrub, I think he's a guy that's going to be a, a solid, dependable veteran backup. There's, I think the floor with him as a depth guy, the floor is pretty high. The ceiling might be pretty low. Okay. But that's not that murky. I think he's a guy that can play today. He can play tomorrow. He can play every, every game of the season, right? Now, granted, that's still only three guys to man two positions or at one and a half positions. Right. 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 right? Yeah. So, so that's part of it. You look at it and you go, where's all the depth? Well, Where's all the numbers on the roster? Because it's only one and a half positions. Yeah. But the other thing too is Sherman, right? We don't know because he hasn't played a whole lot. He's a five-star guy. They brought him in for a reason. He was coming off an ACL. So he didn't play a whole lot okay. as a true fresh. He didn't play a whole lot as a true okay. freshman coming off an ACL injury. So like, oh no, he's a bust now because he didn't play hurt as a true freshman. Like that just to me, that's not that is not a data point. Yeah. That's Nobody does that, right? Yeah. And and as we mentioned, we had a ton of linebackers last year. If he yes, was amazing as it if he was an amazing true freshman, he would have been the fifth outside linebacker. <laughs> yeah. So and but but the numbers, the numbers get scary because like you mentioned, Jonathan, if you have one or two injuries, now you have a true freshman in Sori who's playing a meaningful role ready or not. Mm-hmm. And I think Munden is actually probably an inside guy not even an outside guy okay well he, he might be thing, an, he might be an outside guy if you have a couple injuries right like on accident in all of this for me as we know is in light of the secondary yeah. <laughs> right so again say say the guy that goes down is adam anderson and say that you, who we have to plug in there is robert beal well all of a sudden uh i need nolan smith and robert beal to get to the quarterback before someone in our very inexperienced secondary <laughs> failed. Yeah. Um, it it there is a drop off there. Again, unless MJ Sherman is ready and he he very well may be, um, unless you know one of these freshmen, you know, can get in there for that situational role. Um, I, it, it makes me nervous. But again, that's also when I'll be looking to the defensive line to be like, okay, Devontae Wyatt, Trevon Walker, Jalen Carter, like, can y'all get home? Because um 
somebody needs to <laughs> before one of our corners or safeties makes a mistake. And that could also be where you see them bring Channing Tindall, who finally is seeing the field, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. in an inside backer, and you maybe throw Quay Walker into the mix of Quay outside Walker. backer. And now, traditionally, and honestly, we have not cross-trained those guys, though. We haven't cross-trained those guys cross-trained those guys traditionally mm-hmm. but it's possible go ahead scott i'm sorry well we uh, some of those guys have cross-trained a little bit here and there but uh, maybe not a ton yeah. I, I think tyndall kind of looks like he's more of like the 2b right if if nicobe dean is your top right, guy at the inside right. spot you know walker sort of looks like a 2a and yeah. tyndall 2 all three will play yeah and tyndall guy he can run man he can run and hit i don't know why he didn't play more there's obviously something he doesn't do well but he can run and he can hit when he gets there golly yeah so what, what are we looking at defensively, guys? What realistically do you think this defense is going to end up being with all that we've just I mean, gone through? You're you're still going to be a top five defense. I agree with that. You agree, Jonathan, even with the concerns in the secondary? I, I agree. I, that that is that is absolutely attainable. I, if if you're not that, it's very likely because of something going really wrong in the secondary or injuries. But yeah. um, no, we're yeah. we're capable we're capable of that. I mean, I think most of the numbers had. Georgia defense checking in about fifth mm, before that's right, that's factoring right. that's right before factoring in Darian Kendrick and Tyke Smith. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So per those numbers, if Kendrick and Smith missed the whole season, you'd be fifth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. kind of feels about like a floor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So wrapping this up, we have to talk about the specialists because actually we're unlike last season where we had a complete unknown at kicker. Now that we have hot pod, uh, Jake pod Lesney, who had a really, really surprisingly good year for Georgia. Uh, Jake Camarda, who will be an All-American candidate and, you know, a Groza, a Groza finalist, I would guess. He's an NFL punter. You got two really good specialists again. So that's about all we need to say about special teams. Uh, Jake Camarda finally learned last year how to not kick the ball in the end zone every time, and it was awesome. <laughs> the, the only thing with Camarda is he's like 95% amazing and then this random 5% where yeah. he just shanks it out of bounds for 40 yeah. yards. Mm-hmm. That, right? And so those kind of yeah, replaced just, his kicks in the end zone last year was instead of kicking in the end zone 20 times, he would just have a random, oh, that's a 22-yard punt, Jake. What are you doing? And, and they always were at big, big moments. moments right? yes, they were like they were. in big games it's or like high-pressure situations. It never happened in like a random game no, against Vanderbilt. No, it was so like if – you're, If you're looking at your kickers on special teams – you want to see Pod Lesney kicking extra points, not field goals. Mm-hmm. And you want to see Camarda just not do anything dumb in a big game <laughs> where there's a lot on the line. So, and actually, as long as we're talking about specialists, somewhat of a weird thing with Scott Cochran, who was our special teams coordinator and now is no longer with the team. So apparently Will Muschamp. Or maybe some yeah. coaches are going to take over the special teams. So it, it'll be a group effort. It's not much champ. Yeah. And so you, you know, who knows what the results of that is? I mean, you may see some scheme things sort of, you know, change around a little bit depending upon the flavor of those coaches. Um, or they may do exactly what, you know, sort of Scott Cochran was doing, but um, sort of an unexpected, uh, you know, curve in the road here um, right in the middle of fall camp. But it does get mushed up on the field, which is an asset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it gets Muschamp on the field. Um, I imagine it'll be Hartley, the tight ends coach, that sort of takes the lead or mm-hmm. the pseudo lead. I think he was a special teams coordinator at Miami for okay. three years. He was there prior to coming to Georgia. Okay. So before being tight ends coach at Georgia, he was doing special teams. Um, and it sounds like 
this didn't completely catch the team or the program by surprise. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, you know, there's a plan. Yeah. If you're going to lose a coordinator, that's the one for the season, it's special teams. Mm-hmm. Now Cochran had a, a big important role. Yeah. Yeah. Program or yeah. he'd only been there for a year. He was set up to have a big important role in the yeah. program as far as, you know, general player relationships and development and recruiting and, and lots of other stuff like that. Right. Um, that's not so much the on-field coaching part, which is the part that is the the big change right yeah. now. You know, well, if there's an effect to it, it would show up probably more in recruiting or off season type stuff, but yeah, special teams, you can hodgepodge together. Some teams do that anyway, right before they add an extra assistant coach. A lot of teams did that. Mm-hmm. So, so with us saying that we still think this is at worst like a top 10 defense, more realistically, probably still a top five defense. And if healthy, an offense that should be a top 10 ish offense, are we over or under 10 and a half wins this season? Looking at this easy schedule, look, uh, 11 and one is my prediction for the fifth straight year. So, I'm actually with you, Here Jonathan. I over, uh, yeah, and and eleven and one is is probably the best prediction. I uh, you'd have to just be real pessimistic um, to be betting on the under there, uh, especially given the schedule. Um, there's there's problems, but uh, no, I, you'd bet the over. And there's two or three games we won't cover and we won't look good, but we should still win. I mean, just. The gap in talent in some of these games now is just so enormous with the way Georgia's recruited that they can't necessarily roll out their helmets and wins because it is the SEC. You know, it's not like Ohio State where we can roll out our game, our helmets and win a few of the games in the Big 12. But or Clemson's a better example in the ACC. But this is a team that should be able to even on an off day beat a average SEC team by 10 points. I mean, that's what we, that's what you hope you get to. That's what Alabama's been. Alabama on an off day wins by 14 like when they have their off games. Uh, and it takes teams that are either playing at a super high level or Alabama just completely falls apart to lose, usually because of injuries also. So strengths and weaknesses of this team, real quickly, guys, before we run out of time, go. Jonathan, strengths and weaknesses for this team. What do you think is the biggest strength? What do you think is the biggest concern? If it's something we've already said, you can go back and circle around to that also. I feel the best about uh, both lines of scrimmage, mm, okay. um, including tight ends uh, on, on the offensive side and, and JT Daniels. Um, I feel the worst uh, at this moment, certainly about our secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, right now today, I don't feel good about our receivers. I, I think that's going to be temporary. Um, but just because of all the injuries and other situations there, I'm getting nervous about receiver. But uh, strengths, offensive and defensive line, and really feel good about our quarterback and uh, weaknesses. Uh, you, you're definitely still looking at this at the secondary. Scott. Yeah, I think one of the strengths is going to be just continuity and coaching. Oh, that's a good one. The 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 offensive side of the ball, right, being in the second year, and just the defensive continuity that it's a lot easier to have when you're, you know, head coach is a defensive mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But landing has been around for a few years. Right. And so I think you just have a lot of continuity there. That should be good. And you can really add quarterback. Yes. To that, right. Yes. But I agree with that. Any, anytime you're returning both coordinators and a quarterback, you just kind of feel good about it. Even if 
even if they're bad coordinators or a bad quarterback, you still kind of feel good about it. Um, so that's one of the strengths. And then, yeah, I think the biggest concern is just going to be depth at receiver and depth at cornerback. Yeah. yeah. And, and depth at cornerback because you don't know if you have depth at cornerback. Yeah. And depth at receiver because, oh, no, everybody might be dropping like flies. Yeah, we know we have so, it. And, yeah. Scott, somehow we, we neglected to mention this, but, Scott, what's the best indicator of success on offense from one season to the next? It's here in your notes. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're talking about returning yards, returning yeah. production. What's yeah, George's returning yeah. production look like this year? Uh, yeah, it was like 95, 98%, something yeah. like this. You had written yeah. down that we had 94% of our receiving reduction returning and 98% of our rushing production returning. Yeah. And I think that and, 2% uh, was like quarterback runs. Yeah. And that's before Pickens was injured, right? Yeah. Those are the that, old numbers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, returning production being so huge. If you look at, you know, like if you look at the teams and or whatever numbers, so like, oh, this team returning production, this percentage, they usually have it lumped all together because it's easier. And when you look at it that way, Georgia's, you know, was still pretty good. But when you yeah. break it out and you realize that it's just all of everything coming back, yeah. Before Pickens got hurt, man, it was going to be a straight fireworks. And so I share Hopefully that. it still can be. Yeah. I share that to say that the strength of this team should be explosive offensive production it should be assuming you get one or two of those receivers back and for me my biggest concern is definitely like what y'all said it's the secondary I mean there's no question that's what it is it's the secondary and it's injuries and so the last thing I'll ask before we wrap up here if Georgia goes if Georgia misses the college football playoff what went wrong and to me it's only one answer and it's injuries to JT Daniels that's really the only thing I can see like you might lose to Alabama but like if we're not in contention, it's only because JT Daniels got hurt. Well, yeah, the, there's a difference there for me between missing the playoff and being in contention of the playoff. If you're not in contention for the playoff, then yeah, it's because you're playing with your third string quarterback. Because of the last four years, the only time Georgia wasn't in contention for the playoff is because you were missing your top two quarterbacks for basically the whole season. Right. The same goes for this year. As far as missing the playoff, I don't know you might just get screwed in some voting like yeah. shenanigans or something, right? Like, who knows? You can have wild things. You could lose a close game to Alabama yeah. or something and, and not get in some dumb crap that surely would not happen again. <laughs> oh, God. Jonathan? Yeah, obviously, if JT Daniels gets hurt, then that that is a very, very big deal. Um, I will say, too, there is um, there's just like – five percent of my larry munson georgia bulldog heart that um still wants to see jt daniels do it for we haven't actually seen right, it like right we think we know what we have we obviously are very excited about what he can do um there, there is a scenario where jt daniels is just not as good for the whole season as we wanted him to be and then we miss the playoff. That small possibility, but uh, if you're asking me what went wrong if if we miss the playoff, that's possible. Okay, I agree with that. Overall, I think that Georgia fans can feel optimistic, as they do every year, that this could be the year that we beat Alabama and right. make a run at winning the whole thing. Hopefully we don't have to beat Alabama twice, which is always a possibility. But... I think that this has a chance to be the most complete team Kirby's had. Not, I don't know if it'll be the best team, but a chance to be the most complete team he's had. 
um, especially since that 2017-18 run. And I think Georgia fans should legitimately be excited about their chances. Legitimately be excited about their chances. Agree. So this has been Dave Bethay, Scott the Status Assassin, and Dr. J for Title Run Sports. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.